Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are in Mark's account of Jesus' life, thinking on this Jesus of whom we've been singing and been remembering together this morning. Uh, We've reached chapter 10 of Mark's account, and we'll be reading this morning from verse 32. Uh, Let me encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, to have that open, both as I read and as we proceed over the course of the rest of this morning's service. The words should appear behind me on the screen uh, as well. Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. My welcome to you this morning. Uh, Thank you to to the band. Thank you to Johnny for for leading us and for reading the passage. Apologies if my voice sounds a little bit heavy. I'm uh, just recovering from uh, man flu or whatever you want to call it. So as as Johnny mentioned, we are continuing in Mark's Gospel. We're in chapter 10. And uh, the passage, as he's read, is from verse 32 uh, down to the end of the chapter. Um, The 11th of May, 1983. Perhaps a date that doesn't mean much to many of you. But it is forever ingrained on the memory of every Aberdeen football club supporter. Almost 40 years ago now, the dawns on a miserable night in Gothenburg humbled, humbled the mighty Real Madrid to bring European glory back to the streets of the Granite City. I was nine years old and I can still remember the buzz And the excitement around the city, the scenes of jubilation, tens of thousands of people lining the streets of Union Street, uh, filling Pataudry to welcome the heroes of Gothenburg back home. They were the glory days of AFC. Sadly, it was the pinnacle of Aberdeen's glory days, never repeated. But it was a moment in time that every Dawn's supporter wished would never end. To be able to live in the glory of that moment forever. Sadly, life doesn't work like that. Human nature wants to hold on to glory and never let it go. And glory for the Dawn's has been pretty hard to find since then. Now, if you were with us a couple of weeks back, uh, when we studied Mark chapter 9, that chapter begins with an episode involving three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they shared an experience with Jesus that they too wished would never end. When Jesus showed them something of his glory on top of a mountain. Remember that scene? The Mount of Transfiguration, Transformation, when Jesus appeared in glory and his face shone like the sun, his clothes radiant, dazzling white. Elijah and Moses appeared with him in glory and Jesus gave those three disciples, a preview of the glory of his kingdom. It was so thrilling that Peter, James, and John didn't want it to end. They didn't want to come down from that mountain. They wanted to stay there in the glory with Jesus. And who could blame them? Jesus knew that he couldn't stay in the glory on that mountain. 
Jesus knew that he had to come down from that mountaintop. And that glory episode is bookended with Jesus teaching his disciples an important principle of what it means to follow him. Suffering first, glory later. The cross first, glory will follow. And that the cross is the pathway to glory. And so that scene, the Mount of Transfiguration, it is an important turning point in the whole gospel of Mark. Jesus turns his back on glory and he comes down from the mountain and he is now completely focused on his journey to Jerusalem to face the cross. And so our passage today is all about the cross. The shadow of the cross looms large across our passage. There are three sections. Uh, Jonathan, if you could put the next slide up, please. Three sections, and each section has a particular focus on the cross. Verses 32 to 34, Jesus foretells his death to his disciples for the the third time. And it's about the what of the cross, the what of the cross. In verses 35 to 45, the focus moves to the why of the cross. And then finally, uh, from verse 46 to the end, thinking about the blind beggar Bartimaeus and his encounter with Jesus, uh, we'll think about the who of the cross. The what, the why, and the who of the cross. So let's look at verses 32 to 34, the what of the cross. The heading in my Bible, Jesus foretells his death a third time. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them, the disciples. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. What was to happen to him? Here is Jesus going up to Jerusalem. He's walking ahead of his disciples. And there is a peculiar determination now about Jesus. Luke tells us in his gospel that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. There is a laser-like focus about Jesus. So much so that we read here that his disciples were amazed. They are amazed at this focus. They are amazed at his resolve. Those who followed, which I think is a looser, wider group of followers distinct from the disciples, we read that they were afraid. Jesus is heading for trouble, and they know it. He was heading to Jerusalem. He's heading to the very epicenter of hostility and opposition towards him. And now for the third time, Jesus tells his 12 disciples what was to happen to him at Jerusalem. The what of the cross. Look at verses 33 and 34. Jesus says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, that is Jesus will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death 
and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is the most detailed of the three descriptions that Jesus gives to his disciples about his suffering. He tells them here that he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, to the Roman authorities. He gives them the excruciating detail of the awful treatment that he will face. They will mock him, spit on him. They will flog him. The Romans flogged a person to kill them. To weaken that person. To prepare them for death. They will kill him. This is what Jesus came down that mountain of glory to face. This is why Jesus turned his back on glory. This is why he set his face to go to Jerusalem. To face the horror and savagery of the cross. This is how much Jesus loves you. This was all foretold by the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is fulfilling scripture. Psalm 22 verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads at me. Isaiah 50 verse 6, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Peter read from Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. They treated Jesus as though he were nothing. They couldn't even bear to look at him. Such was their hatred of him. This is the what of the cross. And and, and here's the important point. That Jesus knew exactly what awaited him at Jerusalem. That nothing took Jesus By surprise. Jesus is in complete control. No one took his life from him. Jesus said he laid it down. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He voluntarily gave himself to death on the cross. This was his whole purpose in coming. This was all in the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But death, death is not the end for Jesus. After three days, he will rise again. Jesus is in control. Now we come to the second section, verses 35 to 45, to the why of the cross. Now just imagine... Just imagine you have just heard Jesus tell you, not for the first time, but for the third time. He's just told you about what is to happen to him in a matter of days. The suffering that he's going to endure. How would you respond? 
Well, in verses 35 to 37, we have the incredible response of James and John. Let's just read it. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Each time Jesus told his disciples about the suffering that lay ahead, it just didn't seem to register with them. They were fixated on glory. They wanted glory, not suffering. I believe they thought that they were going to Jerusalem for Jesus to be made king, for Jesus to receive his kingdom there and then. James and John They are still on the Mount of Transfiguration. They are still holding on to glory. And they just didn't want to let it go. Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. We we want ringside seats. We want to be top dogs. We want positions of power in your kingdom. And, And you know, we're no different in our own hearts. Even back in chapter 9, verse 34, when Jesus told the disciples for a second time about his death, this is how they reacted. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? You see, this is getting to the very heart of why the cross why it was necessary for Jesus to go to the cross. And it has to do with our sin. The sin within each of our hearts. The cross is abhorrent to human nature. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 16, the word of the cross is folly, it is foolishness to those who are perishing perishing. There is nothing appealing, there is nothing glorious or noble to mankind about the cross of Jesus and his message of suffering. But there had to be the suffering of the cross first. It was the only way that God could deal with the problem of our sin. And here, even among the disciples, as they follow Jesus on the road up to Jerusalem to the cross, We see sin at work in their hearts. And we see a picture of what sin does to us. Because sin pushes me to the center of my world. And it displaces God and it promotes self at the expense of God. And that's what sin is. When we seek to live our lives without God when we turn our backs on him and we say to God, I'm going to live my life my way, not your way. Jesus said, if you want to be followers of me, then you must die to self. You must deny yourself. You know, living your life as a Christian, every day you will have to say no to self. And live for God. Seek first 
the kingdom of God. Turn from living for self. Turn from your sin and live for God. Trust Jesus Christ and follow him. You remember what Jesus taught in in chapter 8. You need to lose your life in the sense of giving it over to him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Suffering first, glory to follow. Johnny prayed for Kate Forbes. Following Jesus can be costly. And we've seen even in the past week, publicly, the cost of following Jesus, the ridicule, the stain, the mockery. What amazes me in this passage is the patient grace of Jesus, how he deals with James and John and his disciples. Look at verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. In in this little section, Jesus uses two metaphors to describe his cross. He speaks of it as a cup and secondly, as a baptism. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Um, The cup in the Old Testament, in passages such as Isaiah 51, verse 17, it speaks of the cup of his wrath. It is the wrath of God, the anger of God against sin. And Jesus is going to the cross to drink that cup. To take it from the hand of God and to drink it to the last drop. He is the sin bearer. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God will pour upon Jesus his judgment against our sin. It is the why of the cross. You remember... The very night before the cross, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the pressure of the cross weighing down upon him, and he prays and he prays earnestly, Father, if you are willing, if there is any other way, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus also speaks of his cross here as a baptism. The picture is that he will be immersed. He will be drowned in a sea of suffering upon the cross. Psalm 42 verse 7. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It is the picture of an angry sea of judgment crashing down upon the head of Jesus. Are you able to drink that cup? To be baptized with that baptism? It was a rhetorical question. 
The answer was no, only Jesus could do that. You see, once you understand who Jesus is, that he is God, God become man, then you begin to understand the cross. Without a, without a beat of their heart, they say, yes, we are able. They, they didn't know what they were saying. Jesus said, yes, you will drink, you will be baptized. But what does Jesus mean here? Well, he means it's the same point that he's been teaching, the cross first, suffering first, glory to follow. He says to James and John, forget sitting on my right hand or left. Forget about being princes or dukes in my kingdom. Because I'm calling you to suffer first. And how true that would be for them. Within 10 years or so, I I didn't check the dates, but it must be roughly 10 years, James would be martyred, killed with the sword by Herod. John would be imprisoned later in his life, suffering first. Glory later. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They had so much to learn. Jesus tells them that the way his kingdom operates is completely different from the kingdoms of this world. You're thinking like the world, says Jesus. You're thinking about power and authority and status. That's not how it works in my kingdom. Look at verse 43. But it shall not be so among you, says Jesus, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And now Jesus says, this is what true greatness looks like. Here is the greatest example of greatness. Uh, Jesus is building to verse 45. It is probably the key verse of Mark's gospel. It is the why of the cross for even the Son of Man, that is Jesus, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man. We've seen that title before in Mark's Gospel. It takes us back to the book of Daniel. Where Daniel saw the Son of Man come into the presence of God. Into the, to, to the ancient of days. And he received from God a kingdom. The greatest kingdom there will ever be. An everlasting kingdom. Where all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. Here is true greatness. This is Jesus, the Son of Man. This is Jesus' kingdom. It is a title that sets Jesus apart from all others. It doesn't speak of his humanity. It speaks of of his deity. He is God become man. And where do we find him in Mark chapter 10? He's on the road to the cross to lay down his life. To be spat upon. To be mocked and flogged. To give his life as a ransom for many. This is true greatness. This is the why of the cross. 
he will give his life as a ransom. It's the picture of redeeming a slave. Paying that ransom price to set the slave free. Jesus will pay that ransom price to God to set us free from our sin. He will drink that cup. He will be immersed in the waters of God's judgment for our sin. To give his life as a ransom for many. Even that word for. That little word for. It means instead of. Or in place of. Or in exchange for. Instead of you. In place of you. In exchange for you. He suffered instead of you. He took your place on that cross. He gave his life in exchange for your life. What did we sing earlier on in our service? But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The why of the cross. Finally, uh, the who of the cross from verse 46. The passage closes with the story of Bartimaeus, a poor, blind beggar who'd heard the story of Jesus and he cried out for mercy. And despite the crowd telling him to shut up, to be silent, he cried out for mercy all the more. What will Jesus do? Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. The pressure of the cross weighs heavily upon Jesus. Crowds surround him. He doesn't have time for someone like this. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped. And Jesus stopped. For a poor, blind, insignificant beggar, Jesus stopped and he called him. And Jesus asked him the very same question that he asked James and John back in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus not only got new sight, he got new life. New life. He followed Jesus. We are no different from Bartimaeus. It's just a picture of where we are living in the darkness and in the poverty of our sin. And Jesus stops for those who cry out for mercy to him. He stops. 
And he came to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. He came to lift us out of the poverty of our sin. And he came to give us new life. Jesus stops to those who call out to him for mercy. Let me end with a question. And it's the question that Jesus asked twice in this passage. If Jesus asked you that very same question today, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer? Lord, give me power. Give me position in life like James and John. This is what I think I need in my life. Is that how you would respond? Or like poor, blind Bartimaeus, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me. Forgive my sin and let me follow you with my life. The Bible tells us that is what you really need. This is the what, the why, and the who of the cross. May God bless his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you that Jesus set his face, knowing everything that would happen to him. Thank you that he faced the cross for us. Thank you that he drank that cup. That he was immersed in the waters of your judgment But we thank you most of all that he rose from the dead. Death could not hold its prey. Father, we thank you that Jesus stops to those who cry out to him for mercy. And Lord, I just pray that you would be at work in all of our hearts today. That you would be speaking to us. That you would preserve us from self and sin that we would lose our lives in service for you. And I pray that you would open eyes here today to see Jesus for who he really is, that you would bring poor, blind sinners to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask this for your glory and through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.